Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from The Bunker. Folks, I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, Once again, we are celebrating Pride this month as we knock out the next couple of days of June that is left, and today's episode... I am talking with the host of the podcast, Edges, which is all about black hair and healing from my guest, Shantae Howell. And we are doing this kind of mashup crossover episode where, you know, you may hear news stories about me as well as things that she asked that I shared with her and vice versa. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode as always. Um, Side note, side note. Uh, if you want my hot takes on the latest installment of the 1-6 Commission, the hearings, head over to Twitter at D2Cents, D-E-E-T-W-O-C-E-N-T-S, because I am there and I am live. You know, what I will say about that, and then coming up next is this conversation with Shantae Howell. It is really disturbing to me to continue to listen to all the ways in which Donald Trump and everybody around him All of his, there was no fucking team normal and team not normal. They were all on the same team, which was team Trump and Trumpism, uh, which is about destroying democracy, which is about creating fundamentalist Christian, you know, state um, and authoritarianism. And so there were some people that were willing to break the law for it. And there were other people that were willing to bend the law. But the reality here is that I don't think that anything is really going to come of this. I think that sure, the Department of Justice has asked for, you know, All of the testimonies that they have seen, the thousands of pages of documents you heard, the commission say that they will cooperate um, so as not to interfere with an ongoing criminal investigation. We all see that Donald Trump is going to throw John Eastman under the bus, but Donald Trump throws everybody under the bus but himself. Um, We know the same thing is going to be true with Giuliani, but the clear mastermind behind this is Donald Trump. And do I think that white men in power are going to hold other white men in power accountable? Like I said on Twitter this week, no, the fuck I don't. 
right? Because that's not how this legal system was created. The legal system was created for white men with power to hold that power and to preserve their property, right? Whether that be an actual fucking person, as was the concept when the constitution was written, or it be a a fucking building. But I don't see how this is going to turn out to benefit really anyone. And what we continue to see as the Supreme Court makes decision after decision as we get down to the Roe v. Wade decision is that they are willing to erode any separation we had between church and state, any autonomy that uh, women and people with uteruses have been able to attain, that they are willing to gut the voting rights, that they're willing to, you know, prescribe everyone in America with an AR-15, that that seems to be the only constitutional amendment that matters and the only thing that they are willing to hold up. So as we watch our country continue to just enter into its dismal demise, and America turns to the dark ages as the rest of the world will begin to lap us in terms of creativity, innovation, and all of those things, because that doesn't come from oppression, right? Those things don't come from oppression. Um, But they will learn that the hard way, as is with white fundamentalist radicalized America, that the only way that they do learn is the hard way. So if as you're listening to these pride shows, you're wondering, well, what is Danielle thinking about X? Do check me out on Twitter and on TikTok. I took a brief uh, respite from TikTok, but I will be back this week. And speaking of respites, I will make an announcement here and then tomorrow on Instagram. I am taking a break from Woke Wednesdays for the summer. I am putting my mental health on top, back where it belongs. And I realize that how raw and how vulnerable and how angry I get on Woke Wednesdays, while it does provide other people with a place to share their own grief and their angst, and it is not healthy for me. And so I'm giving myself a little mini vacation. I'm not ending Woke Wednesdays forever, but I'm giving myself a summer vacation right now because I need it. It is a lot to record five shows every week, six if you count Democracy-ish, my other podcast. And so adding in a seventh, which is Woke Wednesday, half hour of just ranting, something had to give, and I'd rather it not be my mental health and well-being. And I don't want to take away anything from Woke AF or from Democracy-ish. So I'm putting Woke Wednesday on the shelf, but know that I post all the time on all of social media, so I'm still there. I'm just giving myself a bit of a break. All right, friends, coming up next, my conversation with the host of Edges, another DCP entertainment podcast, Shantae Howell. Hope you enjoy. Folks, I am very excited to welcome to Woke AF. We are doing a crossover Two podcasters, two black queer women during Pride, doing the most, um, trying to heal, trying to get ourselves together and keep ourselves sane. I am joined by my fellow podcaster, Shantae Howell, who is the host of Edges. Um, Shantae, tell everyone, um, your folks already know, we're introducing you to our Woke AF audience. Tell us the premise of Edges, because I just love it so much, and I love your title. Oh, thank you so much. Um, And thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And yeah, so Edges basically was born out of all the things that I've dealt with with my hair. Um, When I was 16, it caught on fire. And I was like, I finally got to just like cut the shit off and come out. Um, And things did not happen the way I intended it to. And it kind of unveiled into this whole story of like, 
how I came into myself and my understanding of who I am and what I want in the world kind of through this lens of my hair and it being this kind of, yeah, almost like a conduit for that happening in ways that I didn't expect. So um, told a little bit too much of my own business, told some things that I still haven't talked to my mom about. So we'll see when that happens. And then also got to talk to other folks um, who identify as queer, who have had their own hair experiences and just had a ton of solidarity for the kind of shared love of the Rihanna pixie cut and all of the different things in between that kind of lead us to where we get. You know, it's so funny because my hair, I've always considered as being really a part of my identity as a black woman, but not necessarily as a part of my queerness. I didn't cut my hair off. And I always understood even, you know, white women who were queer that would come out and they would cut their hair off as like an affront to patriarchy, right? Is I mean, I, I, I'm saying that that that's how I saw it. And I know a lot of queer women who have always been like, yeah, I don't, I don't need this hair. This is not my crown and kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, the pushback from the biblical understanding of, of what was femininity and what was womanness. So for you, what is, what, what was that kind of part and parcel outside of the tragedy of your hair catching on fire? Because good God. Um, but like what, what was, how was your blackness and your queerness, uh, tied into your hair? Yeah, I think for me, it was almost wanting for it to be something that was unspoken. I think that I grew up kind of having to explain a lot of different parts of myself. So my family's also Jamaican. In my younger years, I used to have an accent. Oh my gosh, are you kidding? What part? My family is from Trelawney. Um, I grew I was born in the United States, but my parents were born in Jamaica as my grandparents and everybody else. Okay, same. I My family is in St. Thomas where all the goats kind of roam like squirrels. So yeah, that's something that I feel very near and dear to my heart. And then something that I had to explain a lot. And so I felt like at that point in time, with kind of the excuse of my hair catching on fire, I wanted to be myself without having to explain that. And I felt like, you know, it was a time in my life where if my hair was longer, if I did have my fro, it would be another thing that I would have to explain to people about myself. And I wasn't necessarily consciously thinking of like, how do I feel my most self um, in general and as an artist and as someone who likes to make things. So I think that's something that I've had to like come to terms with and the just regular process of coming out over and over again, like starting a new job and someone asking like, who is your husband and having to explain, like I am not Mm -hmm. married to a man and having that conversation over and over again. You know, I can remember the conversation as clear as day. Both of my grandparents have have since passed away, but I remember when uh, when I was graduating from college, I had to, I had two strand twists that I was getting ready to um, my stylist uh, to turn into locks. You know, we were starting it from two strand twists, and my Jamaican grandparents were beside themselves that I would think that. I'm getting ready to enter into professional society. And this was the choice that I was making. My grandfather was like, where are you going to work? Like, where, like who is going to accept you as like a professional if this is what you're doing? And I laughed because I was like, their own, their only contextualization of locks at that time were Rastafarians. Mm-hmm. Like that was it. It was like the, this counterculture you know, um, uh, uh, understanding for them, it was counterculture. It's not, but for them it was. And so they were just like this association. Like, I just don't understand, like, how are you going to go about that? Um, and so I remember growing up 
with there being a lot of judgment around mm -hmm. hair, right? Like the good hair, the not good hair, the this and the that. Um, what was was it the same for for you? Was that was was there were, were there fights? Uh, yeah, I did have some fights. Um, I would say I had more judgment on my mom when I got a weave and she called it horse hair. But I think a lot of the fights that we have were just around me wanting to express myself through hair. So I did braids, I did all of the things. Um, and I would often just like take my hair out and put it in an afro. And it was different than how she sent me to school. And I think that kind of um, form of just expressing myself in a different way through my hair, like right now, the red twist, they're not as bright as they've been in the past. But you know, my family calls me a fire engine at times. And I think just the, the sense of wanting to see yourself as you see yourself mm -hmm. within is definitely something that can be a conflict with the ways that families see that. Um, yeah. And I'm curious to know, like, what, what was your decision process like going into locks, despite having that kind of societal impression from your grandparents? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Initially, it was laziness. Um, I was just tired. Um, I was tired of doing braids. I was tired of the perm. I was tired of um, figuring out what to do with my natural hair. And I had always loved locks. And I'd seen, you know, so many different iterations from micros. And I don't even think at that time, because I'm older, that they had sister locks. Or maybe they weren't called that. But um, I just knew that I always thought that they were beautiful and that it was something that I remember my mother also saying, well, what are you going to do if you want to change your hair? And I was just like, I'll cut it like every, like everybody else does. Um, and so for me, it was just that feeling of, I knew who I was becoming. Um, mm -hmm. and I knew what I wanted and what I didn't want to prescribe to anymore. But the reason why I had done two strand twists uh, to grow, you know, to grow out like what was left of, uh, of a perm that I, you know, that I'd had and, um, kind of get away from the, the damage that also the braids had caused my hair. Um, I wanted, I didn't start my locks from like, you know, little tiny, tiny, um, uh, twists. They were, they were down to my chin. So mm -hmm. I also think that that was like a different, so when my grandparents and my family kind of started to see how the process was coming along, they're like, oh, it's still long, which again, associates with this idea of like, oh, you know, she's, she's still feminine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, me coming out as well to my family, I have always been, you know, feminine presenting. So for them, it was never like, well, what is she going to look like now? It was just like, no, you still know me. This is, <laughs> this is what I look like. I just happen to like women. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think, just the room for that to change as well is something that I'm contending with a lot. Like, I think I get a lot of questions from my family about like, as relationship things kind of progress through life, like, oh, are you, are you this? Are you that? How do you define yourself? And I think what I heard a lot too, and having conversations with people is like, the hair decisions aren't necessarily always about identity. Oftentimes yeah. they're about convenience and ease of life and having other things that are priority and not wanting for hair to be something that is a burden because our hair is beautiful and we want it to be something that reflects us, but it also can take time. Um, and that's something that I just sense like a weight off my shoulders in that acceptance of self of like, not, not needing to put that much, like prescribe that much meaning to it, but also letting it mean that much to me and that being okay. 
It's no secret that the news is horse pill hard to swallow. Thankfully, there's the Bituation Room podcast hosted by comedian and commentator Francesca Friorentini for a lighter take on the heavy stuff. Each week, the Bituation Room brings you progressive comedians, experts, and activists to break down the issues in a way that won't just leave you crying under a weighted blanket. Get the Bituation Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and streaming on YouTube and Twitch. Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. Yeah, I think it's always so interesting because I have so many um, black women friends, some queer, some straight, some non-binary, who all have different, you know, understandings of their connection to their hair. Some have had the same hairstyle for 20, you know, 20, 30 years. Um, Others change it up literally every week, right? Um, And I think that for black women, ultimately it is about freedom, right? Mm -hmm. It's about the choice to be able to present how I feel like presenting, whether I change that from Monday to Wednesday, or it has been the same, um, you know, for, for decades. I think that it, it is about the freedom of expression. And so like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, oh, maybe there was like a deeper connectedness to, you know, when I was coming out, I was also, when I was coming out for like the last time, I always say the last time because it was, I consider my parents the last people that I came out to mm-hmm. like throughout life. I don't really care about recom, you know, recoming out. But when I came out to them, I was 21. And that was the same time that I was going on this, the beginnings of the locks journey. So maybe there was correlation that I actually haven't unpacked. Um, to that sense for me of independence, independence from who I was, who you thought I was. And now I'm defining myself in these different physical iterations, as well as like identity wise about who I am. So maybe there was a reclamation in that. I never thought about that, Shante. Look at us having an epiphany. Look at these epiphanies. Yes. Um, I think there's so so much beyond that too. Like at some point in time, I dyed my hair red and that was a huge career transition transition for me too and I think there's so many ways in which it's like we have the conversation about the big chop or locks or whatever mm-hmm. have you and all of these little decisions that we make with our hair actually mean so much more um than we could ever realize and that kind of makes me curious about where you've gone since the bob because you started with the bob yeah and I'm now it's t- not a bob and I'm gonna tell you so this is so funny because I don't think that I've ever talked about this on the show so my locks used to be for the longest time, I'd, I'd never cut them from when I started growing them in 2001 until 2019, I never cut my hair. So my, my locks were literally, and I used to wear them curly. So they yeah. were, you know, I, I used to do the flexi rods mm. and it, you, if you look at older pictures of me, it looks like they're past my shoulders, but my hair was actually down to my butt. And what ended up happening is, you know, uh, as folks do know, um, I got a divorce two years ago. And a part of that divorce, um, going through that separation process, I cut 12 inches of my hair off. 
Can you so, gift those 12 inches? To, I can like never <laughs> imagine that. <laughs> I was like, I'm like looking at my hair right now and I'm imagining, I'm like, I cut 12 inches of my hair off. I remember my stylist and I, we did it in like two sessions, right? Because I didn't want like the shock, right? Yeah. So we did like six inches and then I came back and we did another six inches. And then I've cut it, you know, I've cut it again since, but more so to like even things out. And I stopped doing it curly. So it was like, for me, that was the kind of the death of that version mm-hmm. of me, um, of that, of that person that was married, of what, what the preconceived notions were, what all of that weight, because I do believe, and, and this is something that again, didn't come to me as, as a young person when I was starting the journey, but you know how you would always hear how your hair holds energy and Mm -hmm. how in certain cultures they wrap their hair and all of these different things because of, you know, because of the energy that it holds. And that was very true. As I was going through my divorce, it was a shedding that really need that I really needed to have of this other version of myself. Um, and I referred to her actually in a, in a, in a short, um, uh, creative writing piece that I did, last year with this group called generation women, I referred to her as alt D. And Mm. so the alternative Danielle, the alternative D and yeah, I just, it was time to put her to rest and that's what it, and that's what it looked like to me. It looked like changing, you know, this outward appearance that had become a signifier Mm. of people would recognize me, you know, from TV, from whatever, because of the curly locks and, you know, and the long, big hair. And I was, and I was done with that. I wanted, I wanted to reinvent. Yeah. You're like, I am, I am not just, I am not my yeah, hair, but I'm not my I, hair. Yeah. And, and yet it's such a big, like I am, I feel very much the opposite where I'm like, if you see me in these streets, if you see my red twist, you know, it's me. Um, so it's just interesting to think about that, like spectrum of, yeah, just relating to what it means and what you want it to mean to you. And if it's okay for me to ask, I'm curious to know, like, what are the parts of you that you shed when you cut those 12 inches? Like, how did that look in your day to day life and your spirit? You know, I'm going to be really vulnerable and honest. It looked like a lot of letting go of pretend. I had a very, um, a very public marriage. Um, we were, my ex uh, wife and I were one of the first couples to be married. We were on the front lines for marriage equality. Um, we were national spokespeople for marriage equality. And so, you know, part of the beauty of having, the privilege and the opportunity to move in these spaces, to be able to present another idea of what it means to be queer, what it means to be a part of the LGBTQ community. Well, that's the upside. The downside is that all of a sudden you start to become hashtag couple goals and hashtag black couple goals and hashtag this, that, and the other thing. And you become, you you are then a prisoner of the success that you've been able to create for yourself. So for me, the shedding was just like, I'm going to stop pretending like shit is not always Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. Everything isn't always great. Um, I'm not going to watch what I say in politics when I'm upset because I'm chasing this, th- this deal or that deal. Yeah. Like if yeah, either you want me as who I am or you don't. And I think that I have finally arrived. And also I'm in my forties now. I think that I have finally arrived though, through this process over the last two to three years of you know, so much 
uh, happening in the world, but happening, you know, in my own family, happening with myself, that it's just like either take me or leave me. Right. But recognizing that I no longer have to pretend to be somebody else's version of me. Right. And, you know, and I think that that was true in my marriage. It was true in the movement work that I was doing. Mm -hmm. It was true in a lot of spaces. So the letting go of that hair was, was the energy, but the weight, right. Because all of that hair was also really heavy. Right. So I'm carrying all of, you know, all of Mm -hmm. this around. And I think that the letting go, um, allowed me to really figure out, well, who am I now? How do I even like to look right? How do I even feel, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of that. It was a lot of that. It's so interesting to me because we met at what is a transitional space in my relationship life. And it was so powerful for you to share that with me because I feel so much of that in that when you are in certain kind of formats of relationships, what success looks like to other people and what is worth setting a boundary for to other people is very different. And folks like to say things like, oh, you are this beautiful XYZ couple, like you're such a pillar of the community and I see you and I see, you know, a couple that works on XYZ. And I'm like, you don't know what it's like to live in the everyday life. You don't understand what these little cuts do to take you down every day. And I think to allow yourself to decide to be happy and to decide when is enough and what is enough and not care who thinks it's enough or doesn't is really, it's really powerful. So thank you for that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I wonder for you too, like, you know, in your coming out and you said this at the top that you've, you know, you come out all the time. And I think that particularly if you are feminine presenting, that is just, you know, that is the, they're there because people still even in the in this day and age in 2022 still have this idea mm-hmm. of what gay is right like what it looks like and it's still wrapped in stereotypes and so i wonder for you like how how your journey in this you know what i always say it means to live to occupy these dualities right which for us we embody it so it it isn't but the world does not see us as that it's still either you're gay over here or you're black over here and you're a woman over here. It It is, you know, it is this part and parcel. So how have you been able to like bring those identities together for your, for yourself and what, and how has that been part of the process of the continuation of the coming out? Oh gosh, it is still part of the process. Um, I will say like, for me, it, what has been, particularly hard is that my most serious queer relationship was interracial. And there was a lot of things that happened in that relationship that I had to challenge as a Black person. And so that made it very difficult for me in the conversations I was having with my family about my identity and what my queerness meant to me. And then also have to have conversations at work all the time about you know, what microaggressions I'm dealing with. And then after logging off, have to have those conversations about how I might be dealing with that with extended Mm. family. So I think I'm still coming into that. And I see myself becoming more myself still more and more each day in the ways that I'm not having to be considerate of folks' feelings for the sake of a relationship. Because if, you know, my being honest with you, definitely still respectful, but if I'm being honest with you, that is an act of love. And if you can't receive that as such, then 
I don't know what we're doing. And so that's, I'm getting to that place, I think, more and more each day. Um, that has allowed me to be more myself. And I'm very, I'm very excited for the next chapter of things. Yeah, I'll tell you that the coming into yourself for me really came through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you experienced the beginning of COVID because, you know, we're still in COVID. Um, but for me, it was, a, even though I was with my family, in the beginning, it was a lot of solitude. It was a lot of like reflection. It was a lot of walking, you know, going out on, you know, on long walks on my own and just really kind of digging into my why of things like not how, or why did this happen to me? But like, why am I being given this opportunity to reinvent? Why, you know, like what, what is it that I want out of this, out of these next chapters? Or if this is it, right? Because at this time, you know, this was the beginning of the pandemic. We didn't know what the hell was going to happen. Right. So if this is it, then like, how do I want my life to be of meaning and of value? And can it be of meaning and of value if I'm hiding behind an avatar that I've created for myself that isn't actually me? Um, So how did you deal with, like, were there any revelations or are you continuing to have revelations? Because I I feel like I have them every day of, you know, of, of what you've learned about yourself during these like really pivotal and consequential times that we're living in. Yeah, honestly, I think the starting of edges was that for me having conversations with folks who had very different experiences than me but also shared some like similar pinpoints in their journey was really helpful um and i think that sense of self came from and i'm someone who is like i'm pisces i'm jamaican so i'm like very passive aggressive i'll joke everything away but i will do my best to let stuff go and it will fester and i think going back and reflecting on moments and really seeing the times that I was hurt and the ways that I did not allow myself to repair was so crucial to that coming into self. And then honestly, like being at a point in time where I was so depressed and so stressed and so on myself that my hair was falling out Mm -hmm. was something that made me look inside of myself and say, your body literally needs to fall apart for you to see yourself. You Mm -hmm. need to stop um, and do some reflection and care for yourself and not think about what it means to be a good sister or a good wife or a good daughter and have that be at the risk of yourself because that's where I find myself a lot. So I think that has been my why. and I'm still kind of searching for additional whys, but I'm curious to know what yours is because I need some inspiration. <laughs> what my whys are? Yes, I'm going to feel it. You know, the, the, for, for me, I just want to be of service. And I think that like, just by virtue of the work that I do, like, what is my why? Like, I just, my life is about being an educator, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I, I had started off my career, um, as an education lobbyist, as a classroom teacher, all of these things and how I understand education now has evolved, right? Like I use media as a way to educate and enlighten people. But I will say that like, you know, again, that why that allowed me to reflect during the pandemic was like, am I doing this to like chase likes? Am I doing this to chase a contributorship on cable news? Am I doing this like for the fame of the thing? 
Or is there something that's deeper there? And that's what I mean when I I, I say on Woke AF all the time about self-interrogation, right? Mm-hmm. Like we're, we're never, if we're not asking ourselves like the why of things, like when we're having mood swings or, you know, our energy is shifting or things are coming up, it isn't the, the first emotion isn't coming out of nowhere, right? So if we're not asking like, where is this feeling coming from for ourselves, like the why and keep going until you hit, right? The, the, the core until you hit that foundation. And that comes from years of therapy that I went through in order to get to the place where I felt strong enough to get my divorce. Um, but also just like really understanding that we all have, uh, our compass, the thing yeah. that guides us. And it is for us, it's up to us to tap into that guide. And, and for me for so long, it was other people that were tapping in and kind of charting my path and me not, you know, and me just kind of following in the direction that they turned me. Um, and then recognizing that, no, this is, this is actually the same where I want to be. This, this ain't it. Right. Um, and so I think that it's really important to have self-interrogation. It is really important. Even when we say to ourselves, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's just like, do you really not know? Or does it just seem scary to unpack it? Yeah. Right. And so I'd rather be scared in the unpacking than in the ignorance of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been an absolute delight. This is the uh, Woke AF meets Edges mashup that we have been working so hard to make happen and finally has. And so I just want to say, Shantae, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And and folks, if you have not checked out Edges, Shantae, tell people how they can check out the first season of your show. Oh, yes. Just search Edges wherever you get your podcast. It's the one with the Black woman with the red hair. So you can't miss it. Love it. Thank you so much. And I hope that you'll come back again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. And happy Pride. Happy Pride. Happy Black Pride coming. (laughs) Happy Black Pride. Hey, I'm David Plotz of Slice Political Gab Fest. As another election season accelerates, it can be tricky to sort through all the noise in the news. Each week on the Gab Fest, John Dickerson, Emily Bazelon, and I decipher the headlines, break down the races, and tell you what issues really matter. We do not always agree. We definitely do not always agree. But we always deliver thoughtful debate, and we always have a good time. So subscribe to Slate's Political Gap Fest. New episodes every Thursday. That is it for me today, dear friends here on Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. Get a behind-the-scenes look at Comedy Central's The Daily Show on Beyond the Scenes, an original podcast from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Every week, host Roy Wood Jr. goes deeper with the notable guests and experts from the Emmy Award-winning series. Together, they use comedy to tackle current topics from gentrification to gun laws and take a closer look at how and why these topics matter. Listen to Beyond the Scenes from The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes every Tuesday. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. 
And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.